Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 5. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 5. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. God is the governor of the nations. This verse is a declaration of that fact. The Lord has revealed to the prophet Habakkuk that he is coming in judgment against Judah for all her rebellion against him. The historical context here is the period uh, shortly before the Babylonian invasion of Judah. So Habakkuk is writing in the context of impending war. He has been crying out to the Lord for mercy upon the land. Uh, And so we read in verse 2 of this chapter, uh, he declares, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. And so Habakkuk has uh, been remembering God's great interventions on Israel's behalf in the past. Uh, as the Lord has enabled Israel to defeat her enemies. And so uh, we see here uh, that Habakkuk longs that a repentant Judah might yet be exalted, that it might yet again receive God's deliverance. Although Babylon will take the nation into captivity, in the midst of those years of captivity, may the Lord yet remember mercy to his humbled people. So we read here, before him went the pestilence and burning coals went forth at his feet. May the God before whom went the pestilence yet bring terrifying judgment upon Judah's Babylonian oppressors. Now, the reference here in this verse 5 is to the plagues sent upon Egypt uh, prior to Israel's escape from slavery there. The plagues which culminated in the death of Egypt's firstborn. Uh, Likewise, uh, the phrase here, burning coals, uh, describes the afflictive nature of the Egyptian plagues. And so uh, that nation which was persecuting God's people, came under these terrible plagues. And this is what rebellious, unbelieving men need to be reminded of today. That God is a righteous judge who is to be feared. Um, There were probably a million people in London yesterday who have never been told that God is a righteous judge. Because they were thinking 
We can have our sin and God loves us anyway. But we are told here, before him went the pestilence. Burning coals went forth at his feet. Men should remember that God can afflict nations with terrible plagues. God can remove prosperity and bring war. He can cause currencies to collapse. He can take away a nation's defence, rendering its earthly weapons to be of no avail. The Lord can cause harvests to fail. He has not changed his character since the days of Moses or the days of Habakkuk here. God is eternal and unchanging. And he can still bring low a rebellious nation today. He can do so through earthly judgments in time as well as through the judgment of the great last day. The Lord's bringing of the plagues upon Egypt, whilst being a judgment upon one particular nation, was also the means of delivering another nation. Delivering a nation which trusted in him. The Lord Jesus Christ is returning to this earth in a final and irrevocable plague of righteous anger upon this unbelieving world. But in the midst of that judgment, he will also gloriously exalt those who have believed in him. So the very same event will be unspeakable horror for one group of people, an untold glory for the other group of people. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7, The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. So on the same day, there will be agonizing weeping on the one hand and shouts of praise on the other hand. And it will be those who have not turned from sin and believed in Christ in this life who will be doing the weeping. How urgently then our own contemporary society needs to be told out of love for them of the coming judgment of God. The greatest hate crime is not to tell the sinner about the danger which he is in. Now we read in verse 6 here of the Lord. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. 
His ways are everlasting. Now, the word earth there refers to the land of Canaan. God measured out the land of Canaan for allotment to Israel. And he scattered the wicked inhabitants of Canaan, enabling the Israelites to conquer the promised land. And so he measured out the land. And the Hebrew behind that um, can also be translated, he shook the land. Uh, We have a God who can shake the earth and remove men's confidences whenever he wishes. You see, people in our capital city yesterday were reveling in the glorious sunshine, having a wonderful time, so they thought, that God can take away all their prosperity, all their rejoicing in a moment. Habakkuk here continues to look back on Israel's history. God had decreed the downfall of the inhabitants of Canaan. And so they were powerless to stop Israel's advance into their land under Joshua. So the Canaanites were a nation upon whom the judgment of God irrevocably came. And they could do nothing to stop it. So if God decrees judgment upon our own nation, no matter what we might do, no matter what alliances we might form, we cannot stop that judgment. The Canaanites lost their land because of God's judgment. Whilst the Lord brought the Israelites into a wonderful land flowing with milk and honey. And so... Habakkuk is looking back here at what God has done for the nation in its history. That should be an encouragement to the people in Habakkuk's own day. What the Lord once did for them, he can do again. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. The reference here then is to the shaking of the mountains and other natural convulsions which took place when the Lord appeared at Mount Sinai as the commandments were given to Moses. This is what is the subject matter here as we read of the Everlasting mountains being scattered, the uh, perpetual hills uh, bowing, changing in shape, cleaving asunder. We, we read of this in Exodus 19 and verse 16. There were thunders and lightnings, and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of a trumpet exceeding loud, and all the people that were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet God. 
And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. This is what Habakkuk is referring to in verse 6 here. And it is teaching us that men should stand in awe of the holy lawgiver God. God gives laws. So many people today have this foolish notion that God just loves and his character has nothing to do with law at all. But God is a righteous judge. He is the ruler of the nations. We also have an account of the Lord coming down on Mount Sinai in Judges chapter 5. Uh, in Judges 5 and verse 4 we read, Lord, thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom. The earth trembled, and the heavens dropped, the clouds also dropped water. The mountains flowed before the Lord, even that Sinai. Notice that, the mountains flowed. Uh, here we are told in verse 6, the perpetual hills did bow, change shape. And so God's power was being demonstrated in these mighty convulsions of nature. By means of an earthquake. His unpeachable majesty was proclaimed. And man's response before such power can only be to tremble. The everlasting mountains were scattered. Now, the mountains are symbols of the earth's ongoing existence down the ages. But they can be just pushed to one side by our omnipotent God, as by a movement of his little finger. The mountains can melt away before him who created them in the first place. How modern man needs to realise the terrifying nature of the God whom he so blithely ignores. But modern man will only understand the true nature of God if the churches, the Christian people, have the courage to tell that. Modern man needs to realise that the eternal God today can shake the natural environment upon which he so much depends. He can judge men through the creation. He is the God who will one day cause this world to be wound up and destroyed. Let us never forget what the Lord did to the whole earth in Noah's day. Let us never forget what he did to Sodom in Lot's day. 2 Peter 2 verse 5 God spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person. A preacher of righteousness. 
You see, God saved one who was prepared to speak out against the wicked world. He saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. So there we are being taught that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in the time of Abraham is actually meant to be a tool for instructing people today. Why are these historical events recorded for us so that people today might learn from them? Now, Peter, uh, in that second epistle we've just quoted from, uh, he goes on to tell us how God discriminates in his judgments. 2 Peter 2 and verse 9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Unbelievers who so lightly flout God's commandments must realise how close they are to an irresistible, terrifying, eternal judgment. The destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 is another real historical event demonstrating the reality of God's judgment on individual nations. The Lord Jesus Christ, warning his disciples of uh, Jerusalem's impending fall, links it in with the judgments of the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And so we read this in Luke 17 and verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah... Even so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought and they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Both in the time of Noah and of Lot, only a very few were actually saved whilst the majority came under judgment. God discriminated and saved the few. You see, we have nothing in Scripture concerning this satanic falsehood that God loves everyone regardless of how they behave. 
The day of our Lord's return in final judgment will be a day of discrimination between the believer in Christ and the one who does not believe in Christ. Those who have busied themselves with the affairs of this life to the exclusion of their souls and in defiance of their maker will be left for destruction. But for those who have submitted to Christ there will be a glorious and an eternal exaltation. Now we read in verse 7 here. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. If we think of Mount Sinai at the foot of the Sinai Peninsula, if we can try and picture the map uh, in our mind's eye, or possibly if you have a map at the rear of your Bibles, uh, 40 miles to the east of Mount Sinai, across the Gulf of Aqaba, is the land of the Midianites. And 40 miles to the west of Mount Sinai, across the Gulf of Suez, is Ethiopia, which is here called Kushan. Now, these two nations, Kushan and Midian, were not to be conquered by Israel. But when the Lord came down in fire upon Mount Sinai, these two nations would have been able to see from their own coasts across the waters the frightening natural convulsions taking place on Mount Sinai. So someone standing on the coast of the land of Midian would have seen 40 miles in the distance the fire and the smoke on the top of Mount Sinai. Even as onlookers from a distance, they would have trembled as the Lord spoke to Israel in that particular location. And so this, of course, tells us that all people should sit up and listen and learn when God speaks, when he speaks to one specific nation, other nations should learn from that. Now, as we read today of what happened to Sodom in Abraham's time, or to Jerusalem in AD 70, uh, those events are vastly distant from us, both geographically and historically. But they still apply to us. We should view them from a distance, as it were, and do what they did in Kushan and Midian. And what did they do in Kushan and Midian? They trembled. So we should read about these events today and tremble. Far better to tremble at a distance with a remedy than to tremble without remedy when the judgment strikes at home and irreversibly. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, there will be no looking on at a distance. 
But God's anger will be close and real and actual. So, whilst people can learn about God's anger at a distance, as it were, let them understand that one day that anger of God upon them is going going to be very near and they are going to be the ones on the receiving end of it. Now, we read in verse 8 here, Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea? And that that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation. Now, the rivers there in verse 8 refers to the dividing of the floodwaters of the river Jordan. When Israel first entered into the promised land. That was a miracle. The sea, in verse 8, refers to the drowning of the Egyptians at the Red Sea. These mighty convulsions in nature were God's decree. Let no one dare think that nature acts independently of God and that God is displeased when it does so Uh, far from it the Lord mightily used the rivers and the sea to bring salvation to his people and his judgment upon the wicked Uh, when we were witnessing in in London on Thursday we, we spoke to a man who was a druid. He worships Mother Earth. He he, he thinks that all human beings are part of the Earth. and uh, he, He thinks that he was made from stardust, as opposed to being made out of the Earth by God. And so... We see that many people today have no conception of a creator God who is separate from his creation but who will judge the people whom he has created. You see, if Mother Nature is your God, well, you don't have any fear of judgment. But people need to be told that the one true God who made them is a righteous judge. London was given over to gross immorality yesterday because the churches have not told the people that God is a righteous judge. He's a God who judges nations. Now, in our own and more recent history as a nation, as we have been doing so recently, we we can think of a wonderful time of national deliverance. The evacuation from Dunkirk. 338,000 soldiers were rescued when it was thought that perhaps only 30 or 40,000 would be rescued. In response to the nation's prayers... Uh, That miraculous evacuation was facilitated by the English Channel becoming 
as calm as a mill pond. Whilst there was at the same time a violent storm over Flanders grounding the German air force. Here we see God in our more recent history using his creation to deal with the nations. This is what this verse 8 is about. God still governs his creation today. And that is why we were praying for rain today. Because God governs the creation. And he could bring a horrible drought upon this land. Because of all its rebellion against him. It was God's anger which caused the waters of the Red Sea to come crashing down upon Pharaoh's soldiers who were pursuing the people of Israel. And so on the one hand we see judgment upon Egypt, but at the same time and in the same event we see deliverance for a different people, the people who honoured the Lord. And so we notice again that God discriminates. The same event of horrible judgment for some is also the occurrence of glorious salvation for others. And so it will be when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. We are told in verse 9 here, Thy bow was made quite naked, according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Salah, Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. Now, you would have noticed as we read Habakkuk 3 that this word Salah um, appeared on a number of occasions. Um, It is, in a psalm, an indication that the reader should pause for thought at what has just been said. This is an indication. Reflect upon this. Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Think about this. Now, the bow being referred to there is God's battle bow. It was taken out of its covering so as to be used. The Lord prepares to fight for those who are his. The oaths of the tribes, there in verse 9, are God's own promises to protect the tribes of Israel. Be assured by God's own oaths towards the tribes that he will come with the rod of his judgment against Israel's enemies. So, uh, here God has sworn to the tribes, to protect them, if they are faithful. This is reminiscent of what the Lord decrees in Deuteronomy 32, when he swore upon the truth of his own existence, the oath. God makes an oath to protect his people. Deuteronomy 32, verse 40. I lift up my hand to heaven and say, As I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies. 
So God swears by the certainty of his own existence that he will come in judgment against his enemies. We have to tell people about that today. God will not spare the rod of his vengeance unless men have sought his mercy through faith in Christ. And so all must pause to reflect upon the sobering truth of the judgment of God. Those who do not so reflect, that those who do reflect on this vital truth and who come to Christ, for them the coming day of judgment will be a glorious time, a, a time of mighty exaltation, but for those who do not reflect upon it, it will be a day of utter terror. So, if we love our neighbour, we have to warn about coming judgment. You see, God issues warnings about judgment as an aspect of his grace. Habakkuk here is speaking about judgment, but it is in order that men might escape from it. And so, sophisticated modern man should not be mockingly dismissive if preachers ever dare to raise the subject of judgment. The Christian gospel warns us of God's wrath in order to do men good. God has already come in fearful judgment upon nations throughout history. And the Bible teaches that he is coming again in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will be the final judgment upon this earth. All people today must urgently prepare for Christ's coming. It is imminent. Let all therefore believe God's solemn word and his oaths about the reality of his coming judgment. God has sworn on his own existence that he will come in judgment. That is why we just had to go to London yesterday to tell the people of that reality. And the glad tidings is that for those who do turn from sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming day of judgment will be a day of unspeakable rejoicing and exaltation. Amen.